Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? I really miss having the music like before before the sermon. It's kind of a kind of a transition, you know, and, and I, I like I like having these smooth transitions. And when it's not smooth, it it, it everyone's just kind of kind of nervous, like what's about to happen next? Well, one of the things I was gonna do this morning, until we discovered that there was no internet, there was I was gonna show a video. How many of you have seen the movie or the musical Fiddler on the Roof? I think quite a few of us have. Yeah. <laughs> well, the most famous scene from that movie is the one that sings the song Tradition. And that was actually going to be my scene this morning. And it goes right into the, the, the sermon that I was going to preach today. But if you recall, they, they're, they're talking about, these are Jews that are in... in I believe it's Eastern Europe, right? In Russia. And, and they're, they're talking about how things, their customs and their traditions have not changed in hundreds and hundreds of years. They exist because of these traditions. These traditions define who they are. They made them the people that they are. They define their families. They define their culture. Their heritage is all defined by tradition. And they celebrate it in this movie or in the musical. Well, it's interesting that 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 is one of the, the key things that Jesus ended up dealing with in the Gospels. We're still in, in the, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We've taken a few weeks off for Easter in the park. And then we, we got to know the, the Marshalls and the Howards a little bit better. And so now we're coming back to the Gospel of Mark. And if you remember where we left off, Jesus had just called Levi, or the disciple known as Matthew, to be his disciple. And to show his appreciation, Matthew decided to throw a party. And he invited all of his friends. Well, when you're a tax collector and you're not very well liked, because tax collectors in in the first century were not very well liked. In fact, they were probably the most hated people apart from the Romans who were were just the bane of the, the, the Jews' existence. But to, to be a tax collector was to be hated by, by his own people. And so in order for, for Matthew to have friends, he had friends that were also tax collectors. He had people who were, 
had friends who that were prostitutes, and he had people that, that were they were moneylenders, and they were in all kinds of trades that were not approved by the the community at large. And so Jesus showed up, and and he was he he was experiencing great popularity, and 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 by that time people were following him all over the place in 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 Galilee. Well, at the same time, Jesus was experiencing a lot of jealousy from the religious elite because you know they were paying attention to him and not paying attention to to them and and their their worship of of, of Yahweh. And he also, Jesus also disregarded their, their customs and their, their traditions. And that kind of sets the stage for our, our text this morning from Mark chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 18. So glad we were able to do at least this part of the, of the sermon. In verse 18 it says, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting... Some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch an old clothing with new cloth. For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving in an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. The title of my message today is Of Weddings, Wardrobes, and Wineskins. I don't usually use alliteration, but, but th- that was kind of Danelle's contribution to my, my sermon this week. Incidentally, pray for her today. She's, she's not feeling well. She didn't get what I had earlier in the week, but um, she got a hold of something, and it, it's, it's not agreeing with her. So, um, Of weddings, wardrobes, and wineskins, symbols of the kingdom of God. Now, the concept of fasting is centuries old. It typically involves abstaining from food. That's the most common form of fasting. Religious fasts seek to use the time that is usually spent eating to do things like read and meditate and pray instead in order to draw closer to to God. Well, fasting is often often incorporated in the context of repentance or mourning, but it can also include seeking guidance and wisdom. I'll move this down a little bit, see if that helps. There are several types of fasts, and they range from abstaining from all food, certain types of food, various beverages, Various activities, comforts, pleasures, I mean, you name it. You can, you can fast from just about anything in the course of your life. Fasting can be a regular scheduled practice. Like you can decide that you want to fast on a particular day. 
Or it can be circumstantial and it can be infrequent or however frequent you would like. Fasting as a practice is as diverse as the traditions and even the religions that practice it across the world. Christianity and Judaism wasn't the only one that used fasting as as a, a normative practice. Now in the Old Testament, there was a single day that was designed and required by God for His people to fast. And that was the Day of Atonement. In, in the, the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, you can see there where the, the priest required everyone to fast in preparation for the atonement to take place. And this is when the priest would, would take, a, take a lamb, and that, that lamb would be brought in, and they would lay their hands on that lamb to ceremonially transfer their sin the sin of the entire community, the sin of of the entire family, the the sin of everyone, from them to that lamb. And then they would take that lamb and they lead it out of the camp and take it out into the wilderness and set it free. That signified that their sins had been removed and then placed on a scapegoat and it actually wasn't a lamb, it was a, it was a goat. That's right, sorry. It was a goat, that's why I call it scapegoat. Um, but they would place the sins on that scapegoat, and, and so when the, the, the goat went away, that signified that their sin was gone. Now it wasn't completely removed because they had to continue to do that. They had to do it every year. But that was the only day that God required His people to fast. Well, a little bit later in Jewish history, the Israelites were disobedient and God removed them from the Holy Land. You remember, they went into exile in Babylon. And then Israel went into exile in Syria. And so they were, they were sent and, and, and they were dispersed away from, from, the, from their, their, their promised land. So while the Jews were in in exile in Babylon, the priests decided to call a fast. And they called a fast each new season. So during the summertime, during the fall, during the winter, and during the spring, they would call one day to fast, and they they would mourn and cry out to God to forgive them for the the sins that that led to them being sent into exile. And this continued the entire 70 years that the Jews were in Babylon until they returned back to the Holy Land. Well, if you read in the book of Zechariah, the prophet says on behalf of the Lord, okay, they've been returned to, to Israel. And the prophet says, okay, you've been returned to your land now. You can stop your fasting. You can celebrate the fact that you are free. You are no longer in exile. And their response to Zechariah was, we'll continue with our fasting. Thank you. Tradition. They were more comfortable with the tradition of fasting than actually celebrating the fact that they were free 
and that they were no longer in exile. The people preferred tradition over the Word of God. Well, a few hundred years later, there was a group that started calling themselves the Pharisees. And I think we've heard about the Pharisees enough to know about them. They were teachers of the law, but they, they devised a way that they could fast weekly. And it was a regimen that was designed to demonstrate their superior spirituality and their superior piety to all who worshipped Yahweh in Jerusalem. They considered their teachings and customs to be on the same level of the law itself. Their traditions were on the same level as the law itself. And they considered themselves as the new expression of godliness and religious piety in their time. It's kind of arrogant, isn't it? And so their fasting was something that they would do very publicly. And Jesus confronted the Pharisees quite often on the way that they fasted because it was all designed to get people to notice them and say, Oh, aren't they so religious? Aren't they so pious? Aren't they so holy? And it wasn't designed at all to change their hearts because they they were very arrogant and they were very prideful of what got them noticed which was their, their, their piety as, as Jews. So in our text, Mark doesn't specify why John's disciples w- would be fasting. Now if you remember, whenever Jesus started preaching, John had just been taken into prison. And it'll be a few chapters away before John finally is, is beheaded because, you know, he ran afoul of the king. But I I can imagine that his disciples, if they were fasting at this point, it was because they were hoping for John to be released from prison. And so they prayed to show their solidarity for the fact that he was in prison and in hope that he might be one day delivered. And the Pharisees were just always making a show of their piety in public. And so it's in this context that these unnamed people approach Jesus and ask, why don't your disciples fast like they do? Now I want to remind you of what I've said, and and I've said this quite a few times since we started this series. Jesus wasn't just some holy man. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good leader. When He came, He wanted to make sure that everyone knew that He was the Son of God. And He didn't want to get lumped in with somebody else like, well, you know, kind of like that guy was. Or do you remember this guy who came and said He was the Messiah? You remember Him? Well, Jesus is like that guy. Jesus came to distinguish Himself as the Son of God, the Messiah. He didn't come to endorse some kind of religion. He didn't come to to establish some kind of special practice that might might stand out a little bit and and be a little bit different than what was being offered at the time. 
He came to distinguish Himself, to demonstrate to, to these people who God was, and to save everyone from their sins. That was His purpose, and that was His plan. So, in this context, you know, He's been asked this question, it would make sense for Jesus to say, I'm not with them. I'm not with these guys. Are you kidding? He could have gotten in an argument about it. Like, that's not me. That's not my game. No, thank you. No, that absolutely not. That, I, I'm not like that. And, and tried to somehow explain how he was different. Well, instead of trying to even answer the question, he responded with three parables or word pictures. And I'm going to share these quickly because we're, we are running, running a little late. And these were the th- three word pictures that I gave you earlier. Weddings, clothes, or wardrobes. That's why I had to do the alliteration. And wineskins. And these demonstrate the nature of the kingdom of God. So let, let's begin with weddings. In verse 19, Jesus responded, Well, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Well, at this time in Jerusalem, and it may very well still be something like this, weddings in Jerusalem lasted an entire seven days. This time of celebration. If you're planning a wedding, the idea of having a wedding that's going to last seven days long, oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Our daughter's getting married in July, and you know, we're already... Just our heads are spinning about how they're going to make it happen, and, and, and I know she's stressed out and all this kind of stuff. But if you could imagine what went into planning essentially a seven day party that everybody would come to, and everybody's celebrating, and they're dancing, and they're singing, and they're doing all these things. But this is what a wedding was in ancient Israel. And it was so festive that the bride and groom were often released by the priests from their religious observances until after the celebration was over. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, you guys guys go and enjoy being married. We'll leave you alone for seven days. Of course, that's kind of how we do our, our... our honeymoons these days, you know, you get married and then you have seven days to, to celebrate that. But as Jesus often did in these conversations, he reframed the discussion. Instead of talking about fasting like these people wanted to, he talked about something else which would help make his point. And he also made a reference to something that would, wouldn't make sense until after his death and resurrection. He asked them, do wedding guests fast at a wedding? Well, if you can imagine that a wedding something like this, especially seven days of feasting, show up and say, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting today. How would that go over? Kind of feel like a, a sore thumb, right? You just stick out. Because, I mean, everybody's celebrating. They're eating, they're drinking, and they're laughing, and they're, they're enjoying themselves. And, and a person who's fasting, it's kind of hard to enjoy yourself if you're 
fasting in the presence of food and, and drink. And that's what Jesus was saying. Are, are you kidding? Of course not. And they're, all the while, they're, they're wanting to... Wait, what? weren't we talking about fasting just now? Well, just look at what Jesus says here. Who is the groom that Jesus is referring to? Well, He's referring to Himself. He's the groom and He's ushering in the kingdom of God. And therefore, fasting, which is a sign of mourning, is completely out of place. Jesus and the kingdom is here. And then, kind of as, as a way of foreshadowing, Jesus says the wedding party will fast when the groom is taken away. But Jesus is with them now, which is the reason for the celebration. And the religious crowd is just missing out because they're bogged down in tradition. Well, if you can imagine, this answer wasn't what they expected. And I can just, just picture the people who asked Jesus about fasting are looking at Him kind of like, what, what's He saying? So Jesus continued on to His next word picture, His next parable. And that's the one regarding clothes or what I called wardrobes. In verse 21, besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For even a patch would shrink up and, and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Now, this, this parable, this word picture, sounds like something that you might hear in a home economics class. In our day and age... Patching clothing isn't something that we really do anymore, except maybe little boys' blue jeans. I remember my mom used to iron on those patches whenever I was a kid because my you know, tough skins wore out, and uh, so that she'd, she'd iron those on, and then after a while the, the patches would start coming off. But that was the, that was the kind of patching that I, I was familiar with. But in, in a time where, where clothing was a little bit more precious in a time where, where you had to make that clothing stretch. You know, nowadays, if something tears, well, we'll, we'll just throw it away and, and get something else. Of course, now, it, you see a lot of blue jeans like this that probably need some patching and, you know, but... But in regard to this, and Jesus is talking about, you know, that you've got this tear on, your, on, this, on this cloth... And you decide, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. And so I'm going to put some, something new on there to, to patch it, to, to make it right. Well, if it's a new cloth that hasn't shrunk, and the first time you wash that, it's going to shrink. And you're going to rip that, that, that cloth. So what's, what's even the point? You have to get a new wardrobe. You have to get a new dress or you have to get a new shirt anyway. So he gives this answer, and I think the same look is on their face. Like, what does that even mean? And so he just continues on to parable number three. And he's talking about wineskins. Verse 22, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine 
would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now, wineskins for centuries were made from, from either sheep or goat hides. It's not something that we would normally use these days. They were, con- if you want to look at it like this, they're kind of like the, the single-use containers of the first century. You know, we've got the styrofoam cups and the solo cups and stuff like that. Well, they didn't have access to plastic, so the, the thing they had access to was animal hides. And the way that this worked with, with wineskins, there's, a, there's a, the process of fermentation that allows for this emitting of gas. You know, this is, this is a transformation that's happening that, you know, you've got the yeast that's working in, in, in the, that mixture of, of, the, of the drink, and so it, it's working in there. Well, as that's happening, it creates bubbles. These, these gases are released. And so whatever is containing it has to be allowed, uh, has to allow expansion and contraction in order to, to house that, that process. Just to give you an example, there, several years ago, there's this guy, and he's like a redneck's redneck. He's a friend of ours that we used to know. And he told us a story one time about how he decided as, as, as a teenager, he was kind of mischievous, he got a barrel out of his dad's garage and decided he wanted to make plum wine. He had some, some plums and he was going to make, make some wine. He was going to share it with his buddies, you know, and they're going to drink and they're going to have a good time. So he, they mix this, this thing up and they, they get it going and everything, well, and he put it in a barrel in the backyard. And he sealed the barrel and he buried it because he didn't want to get in trouble. So several days went by and he forgot about the barrel because he buried it. You know, it's in the backyard. So he's, he's there at home. They're getting ready. They just sat down for the evening meal. And all of a sudden there's an explosion in the backyard. They all go running outside and there's this big hole and there's this purple goo everywhere. And guess who got a whipping that day? <laughs> yeah, if you knew this guy, he, he certainly did. But that was the whole purpose of putting the wine in a, a skin as opposed to a barrel. If you did it in a barrel, you'd have to make a vent so that it would allow that, that gas to be removed. And so whenever the, the process of fermentation is over, then the wine settles back down, and what that skin would do, it would, it would contract, and that would be the container for that wine until it was gone. Now, the problem with the wine skins is that they're only a, a single use. And if you try to, try to add some wine to that, that old wine skin, you're going to be in some trouble. Now, what do these three word pictures mean? Well, first of all, and I want to start with, with the wardrobes, the clothes. You know, we think that, and this is kind of how we, we, we deal with, with clothing, that, yeah, if we just put a patch on that, that'll be okay. You know, that's my favorite shirt, so I'll find a way to keep it. And then if we put that, that patch on there and it rips, then, then what was the point? Well, Jesus didn't come to just try to put a patch on our torn up lives. 
Because he knew that if, if, if we try to apply him as a patch, then we're going to find that we're, it, it's going to continue to tear. Because we can't receive what Jesus has to offer in our lives. He didn't come to patch up our old lives. He came to give us a new life. That was his purpose. And in the same way with the wineskin. You know, if, if we try to receive what, what God is wanting to do in our lives and we haven't been transformed, it will literally burst us open trying to contain what God is doing or trying to think that we can somehow figure it out and be good enough to do whatever it is that Jesus is wanting to do in us. We have to allow Him to change us. We have to allow for His transformation in order to be able to receive what He wants to do. And God wants to do more than, than, than we can imagine in our lives because He loves us so much. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 16. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it because you have to die. But if you give up your life, if you give me your life, you will save it. That's the only way. And then finally, in regard to the weddings, the weddings, the clothing and wineskins are all symbols of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom has come and we can celebrate that it is still coming. And yes, Jesus has gone away. And in a sense, we mourn the fact that He is gone, but we have the promise that He will return. We have the hope that He will return. And that hope purifies us in expectation that we will receive what we've been hoping for for our entire lives. And that is the purpose of these symbols, to remind us that the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom is available to us. So can we all stand this morning?